Chapter 6 Apologetics and Self-Consciousness Apologetics is the vindication of the Christian philosophy of life against the various forms of the non-Christian philosophy of life. In the Princeton tradition, apologetics was called upon to establish the truth of Christianity as against the claims of unbelief. Abraham Kuyper, however, challenged this traditional approach as faulty Calvinism in that it assumes that the natural man has the ability to reason his way to salvation and that the presuppositions of the natural man can lead to God. Van Til's development of this Amsterdam tradition is regarded by many as his greatest contribution to the Reformed faith. This involves the presupposition of the whole of Scripture and the Christian faith is true. Instead of trying to prove the truth of Christianity to the unregenerate, it assumes its truth as the outset and then challenges the natural man by demonstrating that on his own presuppositions nothing is true, nothing can be accounted for, and his own thinking is invalid. Van Til thus consistently demonstrates that the natural man dares not be true to his own thinking, but must use Christian presuppositions much of the time in order to make science, philosophy, and thought possible. He demonstrates that the scholastic and Arminian are inconsistent thinkers and either unwilling to follow Christian faith consistently or ignorant of the nature of their logic. Van Til's apologetics can be clearly seen in the defense of the faith and the new modernism. In the latter work, we have a thorough analysis of the theology of Barth and Brunner demonstrating that their attempt to overcome their presuppositions and consciousness theology and reach an absolutely other God is no more than a skyrocket attempt, beginning and ending on earth, even as their God begins and ends in the human consciousness, and is more subjective than subjectivism. In the former, the presuppositions of Cecil de Boer, Jesse de Boer, Orlebeck, Van Halsema, Dan, and Massalink are shown to be inconsistent with their proposed Reformed faith. Van Til's apologetics operates, then, on the practical principle that the best defense is a good offense. But the matter goes deeper than that. His apologetics cuts through the delusions and pretenses of men and lays bare their presuppositions. It operates on the fundamental faith that unless we presuppose the whole of Christianity, we can logically and consistently know nothing that we either begin with the self-contained God and his eternal decree as man's ultimate environment, as derived from scripture, or we assume that chance is ultimate, in which case man can know nothing unless he knows everything. And to know everything is especially an impossibility in the evolving universe in which potentiality and possibility are unlimited. Van Til's apologetics, like his preaching, and indeed, like all true preaching, has a clear-cut purpose to make both Christians and non-Christians epistemologically self-conscious, to reveal to both the nature of their presuppositions and their inconsistencies, and to bring them to a clearer responsibility of their position as covenant keepers or covenant breakers. It is impossible to appreciate Van Til's success in this task without taking note of the anguished and bitter opposition he has aroused. Self-consciousness is a painful business for man, who age after age has sought to lull himself to sleep with the opium of a religion, economics, politics, and business, and sought frantic flight into a hundred and one activities and refuges. Man resents his self-consciousness, because fundamental to it is an inescapable God-consciousness which he seeks to suppress. 
He seeks to establish himself as autonomous, but not only all creation, but every fiber of his being. An instant of self-consciousness thunders out his irrepressible God-consciousness. He builds up an elaborate system of pretense, hoping that if he pretends long enough that God does not exist, he will disappear. The inconsistent Christian tries to satisfy both God and man, hoping to escape the tension of decision or the conflict of enlistment by satisfying both God and the natural man. But Van Til's methodology militates against this. It requires an examination of presuppositions and a consistency in terms of them. It calls on men to be epistemologically self-conscious. Thus, fundamental to Van Til's apologetics is the principle that for man, self-consciousness presupposes God-consciousness. Calvin speaks of this as man's inescapable sense of deity. The doctrine of creation, and especially creation in the image of God, make this God-consciousness an inescapable fact. But not only is man a creature, he is also created as an historical being, which involves the conception of the covenant. He has an historical responsibility and task of reinterpreting the counsel of God as expressed in creation to himself individually and collectively. Man's creature consciousness may therefore be more particularly signalized as covenant consciousness. Basic to this task was the dependence upon God, his work being analogical, and hence, since natural revelation is itself incomplete, from the beginning, the very idea of supernatural revelation is correlatively embodied in the idea of man's proper self-consciousness. Man therefore knows himself to be a covenant breaker, knows that, instead of managing himself and all things to the glory of God, he seeks to manage all things, including himself, to his own glory. Van Til wastes no time trying to prove God. On the contrary, he demonstrates, by his incisive analysis of rival philosophies, that to argue consistently that he is not is to destroy all science and philosophy and render all things meaningless. As he states it, the truly biblical view applies atomic power and flamethrowers to the very presupposition of the natural man's ideas with respect to himself. It does not fear to lose a point of contact by uprooting the weeds rather than by cutting them off at the very surface. It is assured of a point of contact in the fact that every man is made in the image of God and has impressed upon him the law of God. In that fact alone, he may rest secure with respect to the point of contact problem. For that fact makes men always accessible to God. The fact assures us that every man, to be a man at all, must already be in contact with the truth. He is so much in contact with the truth that much of his energy is spent in the vain effort to hide this fact from himself. His efforts to hide this fact from himself are bound to be self-frustrative. Only by thus finding the point of contact in man's sense of deity that lies underneath his own conception of self-consciousness as ultimate can we be both true to scripture and effective in reasoning with the natural man. All created reality is revelational in character. Its revelation of God is unavoidable and inescapable. But the natural man seeks to suppress this witness as well as that of his own nature. As a result, the only point of contact he tolerates is one which concedes him claim to autonomy. The only way the Christian can deal with this stubborn and willful blindness is by head-on collision, by an all-out challenge to the natural man. He must reason by presupposition, 
and the ontological trinity, as taught in the scriptures, is the presupposition of all human predication. All reasoning is by presupposition, but too little reasoning is consistently and self-consciously presuppositional. Some years ago, a Western trader found his work vastly enhanced by his half-white, half-Indian status. Among the Indians, he naturally and easily spoke his mother's tongue, acted as one of them, and reasoned in terms of their culture and faith. Among the white miners and ranchers, he readily fell into his father's ways, his father's skepticism of Indian myth and the white man's sense of superiority. Although often accused of hypocrisy, a sin not uncommon among such mixed bloods and a source of advantage to them, this was not entirely true in his case. He shared in both outlooks and lived in unresolved tension and frustration. In a sense, this is the position of the natural man today. A creature created in God's image, his entire being is revelational of God. To think coherently, he must presuppose God. In order to have science, he must begin with Christian assumptions and presuppose the unity of science and of knowledge. But being fallen, he now presupposes his autonomy and attempts to suppress, wherever he becomes conscious of its implications, this basic presupposition of God. As a result, his thinking is inconsistent, reveals his tension and frustration, and lacks an epistemological self-consciousness. To live consistently in terms of his autonomy would plunge him into the shoreless and bottomless ocean of relativity, but to live and think consistently in terms of the self-contained God would involve a total surrender to his sovereignty. The natural man tries, as indeed too many regenerate men do also, to live in terms of both presuppositions, to have a foot in both camps and have the advantages offered by both God and Satan, but the results of this conscious and subconscious effort is tension and frustration. Van Til's apologetics seek to bring out this epistemological self-consciousness in both the regenerate and unregenerate and to make both aware of the nature of their reasoning. It involves a recognition of the true nature of reasoning. As Van Til observes, to admit one's own presuppositions and to point out the presuppositions of others is therefore to maintain that all reasoning is, in the nature of the case, circular reasoning. The starting point, the method, and the conclusion are always involved in one another. Van Til summarizes the issue at stake very clearly. Suppose we think of a man made of water in an infinitely extended and bottomless ocean of water. Desiring to get out of water, he makes a ladder of water. He sets this ladder upon the water and against the water and thus attempts to climb out of the water. So hopeless and senseless a picture must be drawn of the natural man's methodology based as it is upon the assumption that time or chance is ultimate. On his assumption, his own rationality is a product of chance. On his assumption, even the laws of logic which he employs are products of chance. The rationality and purpose that he may be searching for are still bound to be products of chance. Christian theism, which was first rejected because of its supposed authoritarian character, is the only position which gives human reason a field for successful operation and a method of true progress in knowledge. Non-Christians are able to discover truth only because they are never able and therefore never to employ their own methods consistently. A. E. Taylor has admitted that the concept of the uniformity of nature, so fundamental to science, cannot be proven except on evidence which presupposes this very principle. 
the Christian should begin his thinking consciously, committed to reasoning systematically on the presupposition of the ontological trinity, the self-contained God, whose infallibility inspired final revelation to man as scripture. No piecemeal assumption of Christian theism is possible. The whole must be presupposed, and the whole must be shown to be the only presupposition which makes for rationality and gives the possibility of consistent knowledge. A truly Protestant method of reasoning involves a stress upon the fact that the meaning of every aspect or part of Christian theism depends upon Christian theism as a unit. Christian apologetics has its principle of discontinuity in the doctrine of creation and its principle of continuity in the self-contained God and his plan for history. It has a concept of the unity of truth, whereas the natural man, like Eve, separates truth and reality. Eve, in succumbing to Satan's temptation, succumbed to the opinion that no assertion in terms of a rational scheme could predict the course of movement of time-controlled reality. Reality, Satan practically urged upon man, was to be conceived as of something that is not under rational control. Every non-Christian philosophy makes the assumption made by Adam and Eve and is therefore irrationalistic. The result is that non-Christian methodology is atomistic and conceives of system only as a limiting notion and an ideal, not as a reality. The natural man knows what he knows on the basis of principles to which he denies all validity and reality, while professing principles on the basis of which he can know nothing. His is indeed a St. Vitus dance in no man's land. As a result, he denies any authority except that which is agreeable to his presupposition of autonomy. His concept of authority is therefore basically the idea of the expert, adhered to in various forms. In virtually denying God's eternal decree as being man's ultimate environment, the natural man destroys himself in that he makes chance ultimate. Chance is simply the metaphysical correlative of the idea of the autonomous man. When man seeks to dethrone God, he dethrones himself as vice-regent. When man doubts the counsel of God, he destroys the foundation of his own reasoning. When man questions God's predestination, he denies the ground of his freedom but the natural man takes the deadly course. The autonomous man will not allow that reality is already structural in nature by virtue of the structural activity of God's eternal plan. But if reality is non-structural in nature, then man is the one who for the first time, and therefore in an absolutely original fashion, is supposed to bring structure into reality. But such a structure can be only for him. For, in the nature of the case, man cannot himself, as a finite and therefore temporally conditioned being, control the whole of reality. But all this amounts only to saying that modern philosophy is quite consistent with its own principles when it contends that in all that man knows he gives as well as takes. It is merely the non-rational that is given to him. He himself rationalizes it for the first time. And so that which appears to him as rationally related reality is so related primarily because he himself has rationalized it. The purpose then of Antil's apologetics and preaching, as it should be of all truly Christian thought, is to bring about this epistemological self-consciousness in men, to recall the regenerate to their presuppositions, and to force the natural man to recognize the meaning of his position, to tear the mask off the sinner's face and compel him to look at himself and the world for what they really are. 
Men dislike this epistemological self-consciousness. They prefer to disguise their canadic wish that there be no God in a mass of rationalizations. They prefer to live in a gray world of evasion and irresolution. For them, it is a disservice to be summoned to honesty and consistency. But the summons must be made, and Van Til has made it.